I think the best lesson I learned was hire slowly and fire quickly. (laughs) And I was laid off of a job. Honestly, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. But I don't want to be the person to lose their job, their income, hurt their family. So it's been tough to make that decision. But over time, I've seen how it affects company culture. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world actually invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Ready to Scale. My name is Jeanette Robinson, Director of Investor Relations with Blue Lake Capital. And joining me today is Sam Bates. Sam is coming from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's the Principal and Board of Directors for the Systematic Capital Management Group. He's the founder and CEO of Bates Capital the owner of Paradigm Real Estate Investments. And then in addition to that, for those of you that do not understand Texas football, he has a BA in finance from Texas A&M University, and then most unheard of, went and got his MBA from Texas Tech, which is considered a very huge rival of Texas A&M. So Sam, that is a brave move in Texas. What are you thinking? Yeah. I learned quickly in my 20s to never say never. I grew up in Lubbock, always wanted to get out. That's where tech is. And my parents went there, pretty much my entire family went there and I wanted to go to A&M. And then I worked in LA for a couple of years in the financial sector as an analyst and thought I'd be in financial planning. Tech had a great program or has a great program that I could sit for my CFP as well as get an MBA. So I decided to go that route. So it did honestly shock me. I went there. Some of my friends from A&M gave me a lot of hell, but it was a good decision and it got me to where I am today. <laughs> well, I'll do my best to overlook <laughs> that horrendous action. Also, I'm sure your family and friends have had to swallow that, but it's a good program I have heard, right? Yes. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Good. yeah. All right. So on the show, we'd like to talk about assets, process, and strategy. So first of all, let's talk about your assets. What does your portfolio look like? It's mainly multifamily and single family. And I focus primarily on the multifamily acquisition and development side. And then we build about 200 single family homes a year. And we primarily are in... Well, from the single family standpoint, we're strictly in DFW. And then from a multifamily standpoint, we're primarily in Texas and then have a few random assets in Mississippi, Georgia, and Florida. Our entire portfolio is done well and 
I'd prefer to stay in Texas, but the Southeast has a lot of the growth characteristics that Texas does. So when it's been so competitive in Texas, it's been, I won't say easier. It's never easy to buy a property, especially for the value or the price you want. But there's been some inroads we've made with different brokers in those markets as well. Yeah, I agree with you. It is not easy to win deals. But I will say that we also have our properties in similar markets, Texas, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas. Atlanta in particular has been very good to us. We are a big fan of Atlanta market. So there are good deals to be had outside of Texas that have some of the same benefits. Yeah, definitely agree. All right. Well, good. Very interesting. So, you know, you're talking about acquisitions and about development. And so obviously your group focuses on not just acquiring standing assets and already cash flowing assets, but actually doing development as well, which is interesting. There's, you know, the big catchphrase vertically integrated. And I'm sure that almost by the nature of the type of work you're doing, you essentially have had to probably become vertically integrated over time. Can you explain to our listeners, you know, what does it mean for a company to be vertically integrated and why does it matter? Yeah. And even depending on the sector you talk, I think vertically integrated means different things. With multifamily, people say they're vertically integrated if they had a property management team in-house. We consider vertical integration from we have development company, dirt moving company, single family development or building company. We have a title company, obviously multifamily development, multifamily acquisition, and we have an import company from Asia. So essentially, we can create our own economy and we can handle every single aspect of the transaction. So by doing that, we can create a lot of economies of scale. We can reduce pricing significantly. Not in the last year, but a couple of years ago, we were importing for a square foot of nice vinyl plank flooring. When moving dirt jumped up, doubled, we decided to buy equipment and we're basically doing it at cost, of course, a little bit of overhead. So all these efficiencies that we're creating from a cost perspective, and also just we can control our labor force, which once COVID hit, that became a massive issue where we were having to wait on, we literally went through seven pool contractors to build one pool at one apartment and they just kept pushing us off. So now that we have everything in house, we can control pricing to some extent, and we have a lot greater control over our labor, which produces we think a better product in faster time and cheaper than what we could if we brought in other vendors to do it. Like we're building multifamily apartments west of Fort Worth, which it's in a secondary market. So you aren't competing against Trammell Crow and a AAA class high rise in downtown Dallas or uptown Dallas, but we're building them for 120 a door, which is kind of unheard of. 1970s product in DFW's trained for 180, maybe even more at this point. Interesting, interesting, and a very smart approach. I can definitely appreciate it. I assume that those cost savings basically lead to larger returns for your investors. And so the win-win all around. Now, of course, that's far easier said than done. (laughs) So, you know, one question I have for you is when you establish these multiple companies and, you know, you're getting the company essentially vertically integrated, right? But this means multiple different companies have to be established and work in tandem with one another. How do you manage doing that? You know, I think it's a really pragmatic question. How do you manage so many companies to oversee? I would love to take the credit for it. But one of my partners, he's been in the home building business for 30 years. So when we joined forces, he had probably 30 employees already in-house. So we've just been able to come in, grow it, implement systems. And we're still 
honestly, to this day, trying to fix and improve systems. Like we just hired some tech geniuses to install a company intranet where we can go instead of having to use Dropbox and other web programs. It's all in one database. And that's helping significantly on the home sales side. But it's just a lot of work, honestly, bringing in good people, putting them in places, giving them authority and the power to help run the company. And some of the guys that have been on the home building business have been there 20 and 30 years. So they didn't really have to grow that out. I came in, helped build out the multifamily side. And then we acquired the dirt removal company. So that's been a pretty easy transition. So once we get the corporate finance accounting and just the overall structure of the main company, it's been pretty easy to roll the other subsidiaries up into the main company. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So essentially the process that you've taken, if I'm hearing you correctly, is is essentially merging companies, you know, finding partners that are already great at what they're doing and combining efforts and putting together, you know, a company to focus on allowing them to expand, allowing you to expand and, and creating those win-win scenarios. Exactly. And luckily, I spent 10 years in corporate America and consulting. And the last company I was at was their energy company where we acquired 24 companies and maybe 20 months. So I was constantly in the acquisition mode. So I took a lot from what I learned there and implemented the business. And my third partner, he was in tax consulting work for financial services companies. So we're able to take a lot of knowledge from different arenas and apply it to the real estate company. All right. So that's definitely easier said than done, of course. You know, what would you say are some best practices looking back now that you would share with others that are trying to become vertically integrated and do the same thing? It's definitely easier said than done. I feel like almost my entire professional career, I've done 60 to 80 hours routinely. And I don't know if that will change anytime soon. So it is a lot of hard work. I think I've learned and we've learned you have to create a company culture. And the three of us, we're Christians and we want to have a business that honors God. So that's first and foremost. And then we will look and recruit and hire people that we think they don't necessarily have to be Christians, but they see our vision, see our dream, and that they can intertwine well with a company. And just managing people and picking the right people have honestly been the hardest part of the entire process. Machines never let you down. They never stop. Well, maybe for routine maintenance, they'll stop working. But it's the people that you have to constantly... And I'm including myself, I make mistakes every day. So you have to constantly just keep an eye and talk communication line open and see what issues there are, what problems there are. Right now, one of our acquisitions we did, it's not going too well. So it's all hands on deck to make sure we correct the ship and do well for our investors and for ourselves. Yeah, definitely. You know, when it comes to managing people and building the right teams, I agree with you. It is extremely challenging. I'm curious to know, what would you say maybe are the top two or three best lessons you've learned in managing a team that you would share with other leaders, you know, regardless of what industry they're in? I think the best lesson I learned was hire slowly and fire quickly. (laughs) And I was laid off of a job. Honestly, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. But I don't want to be the person to lose their job, their income, hurt their family. So it's been tough to make that decision. But over time, I've seen how it affects company culture. 
And if somebody's performing low and other people see that, then they think they can slack. And I think that's been a big part of it. And then honestly, we were doing everything without an HR department, which sounds kind of crazy, but it's one of the last things you think about. So we hired an HR director and just putting those processes in place and incorporating different tests that an applicant or interviewee should take before they even get to their hiring manager level to see if they fit those qualifications. Because I feel like there's certain things that each job really needs to be successful. Like if you look at the disk profile and from a resume, you can't really see that. But from a test, you can tell what their strengths are, weaknesses are, who they truly are that a resume might not show you. Yeah, definitely. In my former life, I was a headhunter, you know, for many years, actually in both finance and accounting and then IT. So I couldn't agree with you more. There's, you know, HR has a very critical role and it is a component that especially a lot of entrepreneurs will overlook until the pain points are so bad that by the time they do recognize that they need to bring someone in professionally to oversee HR, sometimes it can be kind of a messy situation or messy point because you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's really important about putting together a company and and running a business is making sure that you're covering your bases with all the different components, you know, that have to be addressed, really make a business a business, as opposed to kind of just that startup feel. So yeah, so kudos to you, you know, for bringing in the people that know how best to kind of manage and navigate through those types of situations. Well, last but not least, and you kind of talked about it, what is your vision? You know, where do you feel like the company is headed? How do you feel about the market right now? And how do you plan on getting over, under, and around it in spite of it all? Yeah, I feel like I could stand on my soapbox and talk for hours about the market, but I wish I had the crystal ball. I'd be a billionaire. From what I've read and listened to, I think there's a good chance 2023 people will feel pain and the economy will take a step back. For instance, in our home building business, we've had a couple contracts fall out, but we're still under contract with 60 homes right now. And we build on the lower end, like the starter $300,000 to $500,000 home. But we're even considering scaling that back to maybe 200 to 250, just because with interest rates at 7, 8%, if the Fed bumps it up again, it's going to push a lot of people off from buying, which is great for the multifamily side. But home selling business is not. So I think the economy is going to struggle probably until 24. It's another election. (laughs) Hopefully, inflation is contained by that point. Interest rates will... And I know on the interest rate curves, they're projecting it to drop off in Q1 of next year. Hopefully, that stays true. But for us, we're going to always be developing. We have... 630 lots in our pipeline to develop. We have four multifamily developments right now that we actually close alone today on one. And we're in the early phases of the three other developments. So where pricing's at and where the market's at, I won't say we've completely gone away from acquisitions at this point, but we've definitely shifted more to the development side. And now if prices do drop and I hate to see pain for people, but if pricing does get back to reality on the acquisition side, we'll definitely look at it. And we're looking at other asset classes. Really haven't looked at other markets, but definitely other asset classes to invest in for ourselves and our investors to find that alpha and the yield that people are searching for. But that's where we're going in the short term. I think long term, we'd love to turn it into our long term goal is to become a REIT. I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> But that's like the big, hairy, audacious goal that we have. 
and hopefully we can get there at some point, maybe sooner rather than later, but it's going to take a lot of effort and time and projects, honestly, to get to that point. Yeah, definitely. But we are also big fans of setting very big goals. (laughs) One, why not? You know, if you're going to do it, go big. You know, even if you don't necessarily maybe achieve the goals that you're setting, you're probably going to go a lot further than other people is, you know, kind of my personal opinion on it. And, you know, more than anything, it's a lot more thrilling and exciting to really be pursuing your real goals instead of maybe the ones that people tell you are pragmatic or something you can swallow a little more palatable. You know, I I don't get out of bed every morning to pursue, you know, a fake goal. I get out of bed to pursue the one that I really have, even if it's, you know, huge. So, yeah. yeah, So I commend you guys. Good. Thank you. It's exciting. And we've always dreamed big. I feel like that was ingrained in me with my grandpa. Anytime I told him I achieved something, he's like, why don't you double it and double it (laughs) and double it? And it's just had me in that mindset and our team and our company's young. And I want to work till I'm 80 or 90, hopefully 90. (laughs) So it's definitely achievable. Yeah, definitely it is. Just keep at it. Well, great. Well, we've arrived to what we call the lightning round questions, which are five questions that I ask all of the guests on our show. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. So in between your 60 to 80 hour work weeks, do you actually have a hobby and what is it? (laughs) I do, but sadly, I only get to do it like three or four times a year. I love snow skiing and just being outside. So anytime I can get outside and be in nature, I try to do that. All right. Nice. So you don't have a lot of options for skiing in Texas. No, no. You know, Massachusetts, we got plenty out here. (laughs) Yeah. Colorado, the Rockies. I haven't skied up north, so maybe we'll have to at some point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What is something that most people don't know about you? The first thing that came to my mind is I came from a town of less than 700 people and graduated with, I think, 46 people. So just coming from a very small town, My dad was a farmer. Both my parents were teachers. I had no idea what real estate investing was, private equity, anything like that until I got, honestly, probably to junior, senior year college. (laughs) And then things clicked. But I was always interested in the market. I'd invested since I was 11 in CDs. And then that led to mutual funds. And real estate was a whole new world to me at one point. Ah, exciting. Nice. All right. What about as far as books? What are you currently reading or what do you highly recommend people need to have in their library? I read it at the end of last year, first of this year, but it's Who Not How. And I feel like that was instrumental to me and just changing my mind. And I'm a doer and maybe a control freak, but (laughs) I learned if somebody can do it at least 50% as well as I can, I might as well give it off to them because then I can focus on anything else. But I'm an avid reader. Maybe that's my hobby. I've read over 200 books the last few years. So there's a lot of good books I could recommend. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of reading also. I don't have a lot of time. I like to use an app called the Headway app. And it's fantastic. It's like a cliff note version of every book I want to read and don't have time. But I can hear it in 15 minute, you know, audio bites. So that's been my, my hack for trying to keep up with my reading desires. Yeah. So one of the values that we really hold closely to at Blue Lake is living an extraordinary life and remembering that, yes, money matters, yes, returns matter, yes, wealth matters, but it's not the point of it all, you know? So what would be your advice to our listeners about how to build an extraordinary life? 
what do I do to make my life extraordinary, but not how to build an extraordinary life. But I think it's follow your passion. Everybody's gifted with certain skill sets and we're only here for a finite time. So I get to do what I love every day. And I think people should definitely follow their passions and not sit behind a desk for 8, 10, 12 hours doing something that they don't and just surrounding yourself with friends, family, whoever makes you happy and whoever makes you tick. And then like I was saying, we plan on going to become a REIT. Just have those crazy audacious goals that you never think you're going to meet because in the mundane day-to-day you don't see how much progress you're making, but you're going to create a snowball effect. And over 5, 10, 15 years, you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish. Excellent words. Excellent words of advice. Yes. All right. Great. And last but not least, Sam, if our listeners want to contact you, how can they find you? I'm on social media. I don't necessarily get on it, but you can reach me there or my best email is sam at basecapitalgroup.com or basecapitalgroup.com slash invest. And there's information there. All right, perfect. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking some time to meet with me. I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Jeanette. It was great to talk to you and hopefully I added value to your guest. Yeah, I'm sure you did. And for those of you that have tuned in, thank you so much for your time. I hope that you found this to be valuable and helpful. Please don't forget to actually write a review, rate the show, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't. We are here doing this for you and we want to know your thoughts. Thank you for tuning in today. And in the meantime, be bold, be strong and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.